1 Peter 4, 12. This is the last installment in our different series. And um, I want to just say, uh, I know Pastor slipped out uh, for a moment, but last Wednesday was so good. And uh, something that I believe that we all needed to hear. And I want to say I personally walked away challenged and blessed with a new vision of the different calling that we have in this dark world. And I just believe God is calling the church to stand up and to stand out in this day and age. If the world ever needed the church to shine bright, it's right now. It's right now. Amen. 1 Peter 4.12 says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though some strange uh, or as something as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Somebody say, it's not strange. Peter said, don't think it's strange when a fiery trial comes upon you. Don't think it's strange. He goes on and he says, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. He says, if you're insulted and persecuted, consider yourself blessed. I believe Peter was linking straight back to the Beatitudes when Jesus said, blessed are you when men persecute you. And so tonight, our topic is a different perspective in persecution. Somebody say that with me, different perspective in persecution. Brother David, would you hand out our, our series guide? If you didn't get a series guide, just lift your hand up in the air as you're seated. Just keep your hand up. You can be seated. And we want to get that to you. And um, tonight is a, is a little different kind of message. It's a little different kind of lesson. It is the most encouraging message that you never wanted to hear. It's encouraging, but it's not something that people are looking to hear. You won't buy books about this, self-help books on how to increase your persecution in the world today. But it is the most encouraging message that you never wanted to hear. Because, listen, in the beginning, I want to establish this. Jesus never promised that you would be rich. Can I get an amen? Jesus never promised that you would not be heartbroken at one time or another. Jesus never promised that it wouldn't rain on your vacation. Some of you saw we took a couple days and took the kids up to Hot Springs, and we ended up yesterday having to come home early because it was pouring rain all day. We had plans, and we were going to do things, and, you know, we just decided to save money and drive home in the rain. <laughs> Jesus never promised that your vacation wouldn't get rained out. He never promised you that the plumbing wouldn't back up. He never promised you that the car would not break down. He never promised you an easy, perfect path in this life. But, but here's the good-ish news is Jesus did promise that if you follow him, you will be persecuted. Congratulations, everybody. <laughs> Welcome to Christian Life Church. <laughs> if you follow him, you're going to be persecuted. John uh, 15, 18, Jesus said, If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. And if they persecuted me, they will persecute you also, he says in verse 20. He says, I want you to understand this, that they hated me, and the servant is not greater than his master. 
And so if they hated me, you can expect that in this world you're going to face persecution. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. And so Jesus, this is one of the promises that we probably don't run aisles to. But this is the reality of living for Jesus in a dark world. We are different. We serve a different master. We live under a different kingdom. We're citizens of a different world. And because of that, the world will reject us at times. The, the context of 1 Peter, and we've talked about it the last few weeks, is that Peter is writing to Gentile Christians. And uh, we talked about the Emperor Nero, and, and I did a little bit more digging on his history. And they say that his mother actually murdered his father as a child. She, she got sick of him. And so she fed him a, a meal with poison mushrooms and killed his father, who was the emperor. And uh, wives, don't get any ideas tonight. <laughs> she got sick of him. And so he grew up in an atmosphere of murder. He said he, uh, History says he was married for the first time at 15 years of age, not, not recommended. And he got tired of his wife, and so he did what his family taught him to do, and he killed his first wife. And then he married his second wife. He got sick of her after a while, and he killed her. And uh, the history tells us that his third wife was married to another man, and, and he wanted to marry her, the third woman. And so he killed her husband so he could marry the third lady. And I, I don't know if he made it. He, uh, he, he died at the age of 31. All this happened in a very short period of time, a short, violent life. It's suspected that Nero had such a lust to build he wanted to tear down parts of Rome, and the government and, and the Senate stopped him. And so he literally set fire to his own city so that he can now build. And he blamed the Christians and, and was the first great persecutor of the Christian uh, church, the first great uh, persecutor as the emperor of Rome. And so the Christians were under extreme persecution. How many of you ever read in the Scripture about in the New Testament, about how they treated the New Testament church. This is all the persecution that it was culminating at this time that Peter wrote this letter. And But I want to pause here and just tell you this, that I know we don't feel this way and we don't recognize this sometimes, but many scholars believe that we are now living in the worst decade of Christian persecution in the history of the world. Somebody say right now. Right now, on average, 322 Christians are killed a month right now. 214 Christian uh, churches have property that is destroyed every month right now. 772 acts of violence, including rape, beating, torture, etc., happens to Christians because of their faith right now. There's a, a website called Open Door that tracks Christian persecution Across the world, I pulled these stats today that over 200 in just the last year, there have been over 245 million Christians living in places where they experience high levels of persecution. 4,305 Christians were killed for their faith in the last year. 1,847 churches and other Christian buildings were attacked because of their faith in just the last year. 3,000 150 believers detained without trial, arrested, sentenced, and imprisoned because of their faith in Jesus Christ in the last year. You see, 
Persecution was not just for Nero's time, but it's alive and well today. I know we live in the, in the Bible South, and uh, there are probably more Christians than not around here. But the reality is, is that persecution has really never gone away. And, and that over there, they might be persecuted in a much more violent and open way. But I want to tell you here that, that persecution exists in North America too. Anybody believe that? In North America, people lose their family because of their faith. People lose their jobs because of their faith. People uh, are, are arrested, uh, may, maybe, maybe not arrested and beaten like they are in third world or, or some of the uh, predominantly Muslim countries, but people are ostracized and left out of our society because of their faith. It's something that is still happening today, and, and I'll talk a little bit more about that here in just a few moments. But Peter writes to these persecuted Christians who lived in Smyrna, and he, he tells them, dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials that you are going through as if something strange were happening to you. If you're living faithfully for Jesus, don't be surprised at the trial, the fiery trial, he says, that you are going through as if some strange thing happened to you. What we sometimes fail to realize because of where we live and the, the blessing of the country that we live in is that Christianity has always existed in a context of persecution. It began with Jesus, amen? They crucified him under false allegations when he had done nothing wrong because they feared his influence and they despised his spiritual authority. And so they crucified the Lord of glory. It didn't stop there, but in the early church, and, and I'll talk about that in a little bit, there was a context of persecution, and it caused the church to spread throughout the entire world. Christianity has always faced opposition. And so Peter says, beloved, don't be surprised when you face a fiery trial as if some strange thing is happening to you. This has always existed because we are not patty-caking. We are in a spiritual warfare. Don't be surprised when you face opposition. Anybody ever faced opposition for your faith and been surprised by it? I can tell you it's surprising to us because of where we live in and how we live in the, the people that surround us. We live in a blessed nation. A nation that had founding fathers that held some biblical principles. And because of that, there is a context that has been more friendly to Christianity probably than any other culture in the past. But understand this. Peter says that we should not be surprised when we face opposition for our faith. And I want to just stop here and say this. That the enemy is not worried about disengaged Christians. The opposition isn't worried about disengaged Christians. Listen, if, if I go to some ball game or boxing match and I am disengaged with what's going on, say I'm on the court and I'm talking to somebody on the sidelines. Hey, man, how you doing? It's been a while since I've seen you. We're, we're over there talking about what happened last Tuesday and everybody else is playing ball. You know what the defender's going to do? He's going to ignore me. I pose no threat to him. 
I'm on my, I, I, I stop off on the sideline every few minutes and I check my phone because I'm expecting a text or I just want to see what's happening on Facebook like God help nobody is doing in the house right now. <laughs> what do they have to fear from me if I'm disengaged and distracted? If I'm not paying attention to the game, I remember when, when Rowan was little, we put him in T-ball. And I decided I was going to help coach, you know, because it takes like nine or ten coaches to coach nine or ten kids in T-ball. <laughs> Anybody who's ever done it, you know exactly what I'm talking about. They hit the ball, and you, run here. No, not there. Run here. Run here. Over here. I remember Rowan, I get, I get so frustrated, and we'd put him on, on first base or second base, and I'd be standing there right by him waiting for the play to happen. I'd look over, and he's sitting down playing in the dirt. Piling dirt into his glove. Son, get back up and play ball. But, but this is fun, Dad. Listen, the other team doesn't fear you when you're disengaged and playing in the dirt. Amen? If you're the opposition, are you really worried about me if I'm just a casual Christian? I go to church, but I don't really worship I don't really go down to the altar. I don't really pray for anybody. Prayer is something that we do together at church, and I've forgotten what it's like in my own personal life. Is the enemy scared and, and in opposition to those kind of Christians? Not at all. Not at all. But listen, if I get in the game, and I start attacking the basket, and I start making some shots, and I start doing some damage to the other team, all of a sudden, they're going to throw their best defender at me. They're going to throw everything they've got at me because now I am a concern for the enemy. And listen, if you're on the bench spiritually and you don't serve and you don't give and your prayer life is weak and you're not sharing the gospel and you're not witnessing to anybody, you're not a threat. You're not a threat. So Peter doesn't say, beloved, don't think it's strange if they come attack you for no reason. He's saying, beloved, if you're following Jesus, don't think it's strange when the fiery trial comes to try you. Don't think it's strange when the enemy tries to put an end to you. Don't be surprised when your marriage comes under attack and your family comes under attack because now you pose a threat to the kingdom of darkness. When you get in the game, the enemy takes notice. He said, don't be surprised. Imagine, imagine a battle. Or somebody shows up and they run to their, their superior officer. They say, can you believe they're shooting at me? Can you believe it? All I did was come out of here and they're shooting at me. Are you carrying a gun? Yeah, I'm carrying a gun. Look, when you pose a threat to the enemy, the enemy pays attention to you. And what do you expect? Sometimes I think we're surprised when the world rejects us or, or when society doesn't like what we believe and we're incensed because we've grown accustomed to a community of people around us that see it like we do. But this is the reality. Jesus said, if they hated me, they're going to hate you too. And if they despise me, they're going to despise you too. And if they falsified allegations against me, they'll falsify allegations against you. And if they falsely labeled me, they will falsely label you. That's part and parcel of the package of following after Jesus because Christianity isn't a playground it's a battleground look when you're really serving God you're making a difference people are not going to hell because of your efforts 
People are being pulled into out of darkness and into the marvelous light of God. And when you start living your best life for God, the enemy is put on notice about you. He says, don't be surprised by the fiery trial. Now, the interesting thing is, we, we look at that as an allegory, but these Christians to whom Peter was writing might have seen this more as a literal statement. Because Nero had some ugly habits of how he handled Christians. Because uh, he was persecuting Christians and blaming Christians for the burning of Rome. And so what he would do is he would capture Christians and then he would put animal skins on them. And, and turn them into arenas and then loose a hungry wild pack of dogs that smelled the scent of that animal. That would go and tear apart these innocent Christians. Not only that, but... But he would take them and he would dip them in hot wax, their entire bodies, and cover them in wax and then tie them to trees and light them on fire and watch them burn, making like a human candle out of these Christians. And so when Peter writes and he says, don't be surprised at the fiery trial that you may have to endure. Images of these kind of moments are coming up for these Christians because they're not just facing bad attitudes and people who don't like what they stand for. They are facing the persecution of an emperor and of a kingdom that is determined to put an end to the message of Jesus Christ. And he's saying it is not strange for the enemy to attack you and for the world to hate you when you live for Jesus. Do you know that all of the disciples except for John died as martyrs? And the only reason that John didn't die as a martyr because they threw hot oil on him to kill him and it didn't work. Later he's exiled to the Isle of Patmos for his faith. And it's there that he would receive the uh, revelation that we know as the book of revelations. You see... The Christian context of the first century was not a message of comfort. It wasn't a message of blessing or of prosperity or of destiny. Those would have been foreign buzzwords to the early church. But when they gave their life to God, they understood that they very well may be giving their life to God. They were willing to take on everything that came with the commitment to follow after Jesus. And this is what Peter was saying. Don't think it's strange. Don't be surprised when you face persecution and when you face opposition. Don't be surprised that the enemy is going to try to capture you, that he's going to try to kill your influence. Don't be surprised at what comes to you. This is what Peter was saying. And if Peter were writing a message today, he might adapt it to this audience as well. He, he might adapt it to the audience that he's writing to. Perhaps to the Christians in the Middle East, he might say today, don't be surprised if someone you know is beheaded because it's happening today in the Middle East. He might say to Muslim Indonesia, a Christian who lives there, if your family disowns you for following Jesus, don't be surprised. Sister Bonnie Marshall uh, used to be a, a, a Hindu uh, a temple priestess. She's now an evangelist that bases out of the Pentecostals of Alexander. She tells the story of how when she came to Jesus Christ, her family disowned and rejected her. And she had nothing left. Everything was taken. Don't, Peter says, don't be surprised if your family disowned you. A young girl in college 
He might say to them, don't be surprised when you don't get a second date because you've made a stand for purity and you've decided to save yourself for marriage. Don't be surprised if the world rejects you because of the stance you're taking. Perhaps he might tell you tonight, don't be surprised if your family draws back from you because you gave your life to Jesus. Don't be surprised if you're misunderstood for your faith and falsely labeled as a bigot or as a hateful person because you've chosen to stand upon the word of God. Peter was saying that this is expected. When you really give your life to Jesus, it's expected. And we need to wholly give up on the idea of our faith being accepted by the world. Because here's what I've come to tell you. We are different. And because we are different, we are going to face opposition and persecution for our faith in this world. Why? Because we are on the front lines of spiritual battle. If the world hated me, Jesus said, it will hate you also. And if the world despised my message, it will despise you when you speak the truth also. Now listen, we live in a culture that is turning on Christianity. How many of you, how many of you believe that? Our culture is turning on Christianity. It's turning, and things are, are, have shifted over the last few years. There's a study by um, a, a sociologist named George Yancey out of Baylor University that talks about how um, there's not necessarily more people who hate Christianity in America today, but that the people who do hate Christianity have gained much more influence in the past few decades. And as a result, the public discourse on our faith has changed. No longer do churches in many places do not receive the respect that they used to receive. In fact, my wife and I, we moved to Flagstaff and started a church in a, a city where only 10% of people are active church-going Christians. 10% of 60,000, 6,000 Christians in a town of about 60,000. Plus, you had probably about another 50 to 60,000 in the surrounding areas on the Indian reservations and other smaller towns. And, and only 10% went to church. I was so shocked. I grew up in the South. If you said you were from a church at a business, they're going to give you a discount. Well, we want to help the church. If you tell them in Flagstaff, they upcharge you a little bit. <laughs> they didn't like churches. Every time we did an outreach event, we'd get voicemails. I'd get letters in the mail. We'd get people who hated on us. I, I had people calling me and cussing me out on the voicemail of our church, which I... You know, being a, a poor church, church planner, that was my, my cell phone voicemail. Real smart. I should at least have a dummy number. But they're calling and leaving hateful messages uh, because they don't want more Christian churches or people being proselytized. It's a, if you don't know about northern Arizona, it's a hotbed of new age activity up there. And um, they, they didn't want anything to do with a, a church coming in to their town. And in fact, there are many churches that start in Flagstaff and many that that fade away. It's, it's a constant turnover in Flagstaff because they are so set against. In fact, I, I studied the history there. And in the history of the town, the city council at one point had prohibited any new ministers or churches from starting. This was in the, in the late 1800s. They didn't want anything to do with Christianity. And it's become a part of the fabric of that little town's culture. And so it was a shock to me to learn that people didn't want the message of Jesus. But culture is now turning on our faith. Just a, a few years ago, there was a fire chief in Atlanta, upstanding 
uh, a black gentleman who was a great leader in the community who was fired because in his, not, not under his official capacities, but in his private time, he wrote Bible studies and distributed them uh, to church groups. And in one of those, he mentioned uh, biblical sexuality and that he believed homosexuality was a sin. And so he was fired from the city of Atlanta because he made a statement in a private context of a, of a belief that he held, that he agreed with the scripture. The Christian bakers that were so heavily involved in the news the last few years, they have now been sued three different times. Three different times for not baking cakes for homosexual marriages. And I understand what you're saying, that this is not to compare with what people are facing in the Middle East, and it's not to compare with, uh, with what the early church faced and being beheaded and thrown into arenas. But we need to understand that we are going to face some type of persecution in this world. And we have to have a different perspective in the persecution. Just a few months ago in June, a pastor was arrested uh, in Canada. Canada has some new speech laws that you're not allowed to publicly state that homosexuality is a sin. And, and interestingly, a lot of the, the persecution and the hatred towards Christianity is centered on that subject. Anybody believe that? It's centered on that subject. And so he got out on the street and he went to the street because there had been some protesters and some people uh, that were hateful towards homosexuals. And he went and he preached the message that God loves you and, and God cares for you, but God is calling you to repentance. That we accept you and we want you to come to our church, but God is calling you to repentance. And after a few uh, minutes of preaching, a mob arose and they carried out flags and they covered him up. And they started screaming him down. They didn't want his message to be heard. And so they called the police on him. His name was Pastor David Lynn in the Church Wellesley area in Canada, in Toronto. And they called the police. And the police arrested him and put him in jail for causing a disturbance. When literally he stood on the side of the road and declared God's love for everybody equally. We're living in a culture that's changing it's viewed towards Christianity. How many of you have heard and read some of the things that are said about your faith and your belief in the news and in the media and on social media? Some of you have perhaps even interacted with people that have labeled you a hateful person and they've never even met you. It's because we're living in a time where the spirit of the Antichrist and the spirit of secularism is rising up and we are facing opposition. But... Peter says, don't think it's strange. Don't think it's strange when opposition comes against you. So how, how should we react when we're persecuted? 1 Peter 4.12, he continues. He says, don't think it's strange, but instead, listen to this. This is funny. I, I think God has a sense of humor. He says, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is a trial, but instead be very glad in the New Living Transversion, uh, tr uh, Translation. Be very glad. Next time you get persecuted, you should be like, yes. Best day ever. That was our, our theme for Friend Day. Next year, we're going to bring out people to persecute us. <laughs> because he said, be glad. When, when the world despises you and the world hates you for preaching the gospel and sharing it. Now, I'm not going to say that this extends to being an ugly-spirited Christian who's looking to put somebody down with your faith. But when the world hates you because you love him and because you serve him 
and because you've taken a stand for righteousness. Peter said, instead, be very glad, for these trials make you partners with Christ in His suffering, so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing His glory when it is revealed to all the world. He's saying, it might sting now, and it might hurt now, and it might not be pleasant now, but be glad because you are partaking in the suffering of Christ. It is making you closer to Christ. It is drawing you nearer to Christ. And if you'll suffer with Him now, you'll receive glory with Him then. So many people are seeking comfort, pleasure, and ease. Just want to avoid conflict. I remember one time I went to a, a barber shop in Michigan, and they had a, a sign posted on the door. You are not allowed to discuss religion or politics in here. And I went and sat down, and the lady said, well, what do you do for a living? She had only shaved half of the back of my head. What am, I, what am I supposed to say here? I don't want to get kicked out halfway haircut. You know? I, but I'll, I'll be honest with you. All I really wanted to do was, from the moment I walked through the door, is discuss politics and religion. <laughs> Let's talk about it. But so many of us, we want to avoid conflict, right? We, we want to dodge any opposition. We want to take the path of least resistance. I'm non-confrontational by nature. And you know that there are people who, who profess to believe in Jesus Christ, that they will smoke and drink when they're with smokers and drinkers just to blend in. I don't, I don't want to ruffle any feathers. I don't want to upset anybody or, or confront anybody. I, I, I don't want to do that. I'm just going to blend in to the world around me. I'm just going to laugh along with inappropriate conversation knowing it's wrong. And partake in things that I shouldn't do knowing it's wrong. I'm going to hide my faith in Christ so no one makes fun of me or thinks that I'm weird and different. And let me tell you, when, when a Christian takes this approach, you will never get what you want. Because what you really want is comfort and ease. But you can't trade your faith and what you really believe in order to get it. There, there's a cycle. I think we have a slide on, the, uh, on this cycle. But there's a cycle that happens when as Christians we, we stop trying to live boldly for God and we start pursuing after comfort. And it goes like this, is, is we just want to be comfortable in this world. There have been times in my life where I prayed and I said, God, why do we have to be so different? Anybody else ever pray that? I prayed that. I'll just be honest. Why do we have to be so different, God? Why, why do we have to make the sacrifices that other people don't have to make? And I remember as a young person, I just want to feel, I don't want to be weird. I don't want to be different. And, but listen, when we pursue comfort, what we do is we begin to avoid opposition. And, and, and I remember saying things like this, like people would ask, why don't you do that? Well, my, it's against my religion. With that opposition, or they won't say anything at all. When we pursue comfort, what we do is avoid opposition. And when we avoid opposition, our faith weakens. And we start to question what we really believe. And then life feels empty and we feel distant and separated from God. And so what do we do? We want to find comfort. So we pursue more comfort. And then we avoid more opposition. 
And then our faith grows even weaker. And our life grows even more empty. And so we try to look somewhere else and we pursue comfort. And it goes over and over and over because God did not call us to pursue comfort. God did not call us to fit in. God did not call us to get along with everybody and, and win everybody by our charm and by our smile. He said, some you've got to win by fear and some you've got to pull out of the fire. It's a cycle. Comfort is not our calling. Why? Because this world is not our home. We're called to be different. We're called to live in a different cycle. We aren't called to pursue comfort, but we are called to live boldly for Jesus Christ. That's what we're called to do. We have a different perspective in persecution. We don't fear persecution, and we should not run from persecution because we have a different perspective. It is the natural conclusion of being not of this world. If I'm like Jesus, 2 Timothy tells us that if we are all who live godly in Christ shall suffer persecution. If I'm living a godly life, I will suffer some form of persecution. If your goal is to avoid all discomfort, then you will trade your convictions for your comfort eventually. We're called to live boldly. Somebody say live boldly. And this is the other cycle I want to talk about. Put it up on the screen for me, please. Is that when we live boldly, we face opposition. Have you ever noticed when you're not ashamed and you just state what you think? People then feel free to say what they think. It's an amazing thing. When we live boldly for Jesus Christ, when we go out there and we make a difference, when we start ministries that start messing with hell's hand grip, when we start ministering to addicted people and rejected people and despised people, and we start loving on them and pulling them out, all of a sudden we're going to face opposition. When we live boldly, we faith strengthens. I'm going to prove it to you in a minute in the Bible. Faith strengthens, and we grow closer to Jesus Christ, which causes us to live more boldly. And the more bold we live, the more opposition we face, and the stronger our faith grows, and the closer we grow to Christ. There are only two roads. One is living boldly for Jesus and getting closer to Him, or trying to be comfortable. I'm not telling you to go start fights with everybody. Esther, hey, don't do that. Things that pleases God, keep on doing what is right and trust your lives to the God who created you, for He will never fail you. If you're suffering in a manner that pleases God, keep on doing what's right and trust your life to the God who created you, for He will never fail you. So, what do you do when you're persecuted? Do you stop reaching out? Do you stop doing outreach because you get ugly voicemails and letters? No. You just keep doing what's right and you trust God with the results. You do what is right and you trust God with the outcome. You just do what's right if you get in a context on your job where they're asking you to compromise your faith. Here's what you do. You do what's right. Well, if I don't do what they ask me to do, they might fire me. You do what's right and trust God with the results. Just, he said, if you're suffering in a manner that pleases God, just do what's right. Just keep on keeping on. Don't worry about the out. Might you lose the job? You might lose the job. 
but trust God with the results anyways. You might lose a relationship, but trust God. Listen, I'm going to just go ahead and say that if you're a new Christian, you've come in and you have a relationship with someone you're not married to, and you felt convicted to stop fornicating, you just do what's right and trust God with the results. But they might break up with me. They might leave me. Do what's right and trust God with the outcome because God never fails you. And you might suffer some things for Jesus along the way. But he says, be glad and rejoice because you're suffering with him. And when his glory is revealed, you're going to be there to see it. And you're going to be there to experience it. And you're going to be there to know it. Do what's right at work. Do what's right at school. Do what's right in your family. Do what's right on your team. We don't cut corners. We don't compromise our values to get along with the world. We don't shy away because there's opposition. The world is getting darker and darker, but the darker the night, the brighter the light. And so what do we do when the world is opposing us because of our faith and because of our choice to be righteous is we just keep doing what's right. We keep shining into darkness. Listen, persecution never weakens the church. It always strengthens our faith. It does not weaken the church. The enemy wants us to believe that the world has power over us. But he said, in this world you'll have tribulation, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. We are overcomers through Christ Jesus. That means we got to come over some things. It doesn't mean we won't have opposition. We, we just keep overcoming. We keep holding on to our faith. And listen, persecution isn't all bad. Because what it can do is when we're an apathetic Christian, it can cause us to make a choice. To drill down on what we really believe and not live as a weak, weak Christian anymore. And so I'm, I'm here to tell you, don't worry when you're persecuted. Don't worry. Worry when you're not persecuted. Worry when nobody has a problem anywhere with your faith. That means you're either too insulated as a Christian and you're not engaged with the world and cannot win it, or it means that you're not living boldly for Jesus Christ. You see, we need to learn to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. When I put myself out there, that's when I experience God. When I live boldly, that's when God shows up. Look, I'm, I'm going to close with this. The first miracle of the church, they had just received the Holy Ghost, the on the day of Pentecost, the Spirit was poured out and all of them spoke with tongues and Peter stood up and preached on the day of Pentecost. It was just a few days later in Acts chapter 4 that uh, Peter was on his way to the temple and uh, pastor mentioned it here Sunday and, and uh, the lame man at the temple beg, begging for alms, over 40 years old, begs Peter and says, Peter, do you have any alms? Alms, I need alms. And Peter is bold. Just put yourself in his shoes that the next time you pass a person who's crippled and begging, exactly the situation Peter found himself in. And Peter said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. And here's the amazing thing. Peter was bold in that moment. And because of his boldness, this man received his healing. But that's not all that happened. The Bible says he went in leaping and praising into the temple. And he just ticked off all the religious Pharisees that were there. 
They thought they were done with Jesus. They thought they had put an end to this Jesus. And now here was this lame man that everybody knew for 40 years was now in the temple praising. The scene says they got together and they huddled up. What are we going to do? They said, what shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And we can't deny. They said, we've got to do something because there was a healing and we can't deny it. Everybody saw it. What are we going to do with these guys? And so they called them in and they charged them. Do not teach the name of Jesus anymore. That's enough of that. You quit that. <laughs> they called him in and charged him. And Peter and John answered them and said, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot speak but what we have seen and what we have heard. Did Peter pick a fight? No. Peter just lived his faith boldly. He gave this man what Jesus had given him. And listen, they got upset about it. They didn't like it. They tried to shut him up. They tried to shut him down. And he said, it is better to obey God than men. And so you've got to judge what you're going to do with me. I love this. I'm almost done. They had, it says, when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. And when they were released, Peter and John go to their friends and report what the chief priests and elders have said to them. And listen to what happened when they faced the first persecution of the early church. When they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything within. What did they do? They went to God in prayer. Their first response to persecution was they lifted their voice and they said, God, who made heaven and earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? For the kings of the earth have set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. They're reminding God that they set themselves not against us, God, but against you. And he said, for truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And they said, and now, Lord, listen to this. Look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with boldness. They said, God... You see that the world hates us because they hated you. And now they're trying to shut us up just like they tried to shut you up. And they want to kill us just like they killed you. And Lord, give us boldness in this persecution. They had a different perspective in persecution. They didn't go crying to God. They didn't give us more boldness that we may declare the word of God. You stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And no one said that any direction of the Lord. It's because they don't like you, Lord. And so give us boldness. And they lived boldly. And so they faced more opposition. And God strengthened their faith. And they grew closer to God. And they began to make a difference in their world because they were persecuted. We have a different perspective in persecution. The world is going to reject us, but it's really because we're on the right side. We're on the side of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Let's stand together right now. Somebody say different. Different perspective.
I read to you this last verse before we pray. I want our ushers to go ahead and come forward. He said, so after you have suffered a little while, this is Peter's final words, trying to land that plane. He says, you have suffered a little while. He will restore, support, and strengthen you. And he will place you on a firm foundation. All power to him forever. Amen. Listen, when you stand with God, God stands with you. And you may suffer persecution for a time. But he says, when it's all said and done, God will support you. God will restore you. And nothing that this world or that the enemy has done to you will remain. That God will restore everything back to you that the enemy has done. Somebody say, I want to be different in persecution. Can we just lift our hands and pray, Lord? God, you see the world that we live in, how dark it's growing, God. God, you've given us a different calling in a dark world, God. God, you've given us different values in an unholy culture. God, you've given us different standards to live by, God. God, give us a different perspective in persecution, God. Let your church be your church in this final hour, God. Let the church be the church, God. Restore to us the boldness that they had in the book of Acts, God. Let us not retreat in fear, but move forward in faith and boldness in Jesus' name. Everybody that believed it said amen.